Praise the Lord. <laughs> I just had to say that. But if you want to say it right, it's praise the Lord. The Indians love to roll their R's. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for the opportunity. I was telling one of your young men in the church, I've been in several churches, believe me. And uh, some churches I don't want to go back. But I love this man. I met him 20 years ago. He's still the same. Humble. When I look at this auditorium, look at this building, if I was ever the pastor of this church, I'll be Mr. Snob. <laughs> Man, anybody would get spoiled speaking from here. Thank you again for your prayers and support before I go. I don't know if you noticed this. A lot of young people, I just took my watch off. In case you want to know what that means, it means nothing. <laughs> just to encourage you, you know, uh, if you're attending the church first time at Osborne, why did he take the watch off? I'm sure they told you that, oh, he just wanted to keep his eye on the time. No. Most of the time I have to see if it's Indian time or American time. You know, I like to say this to the church, and just to encourage you, we have 6,000 orphans today in the Ministry of Hope Givers, and um, majority of them, they don't get sponsored every month. Some people lose jobs, some people cut down a lot of stuff, and supporting the orphans, they cut down on that. So every time we are challenged how we're going to provide for the 6,000 children, God has used Osborne to always come through. So the people, when they miss supporting us, miss sending the support, because of your faithful and regular support. Sometimes, you know, I look at the numbers, it's 1,000, sometimes 3,000, sometimes 4,000. I always wondered why it's a different number. God knows. Every time the amount that you send help us to cover food for every child in the ministry of Hope Givers. To God be all the glory for great things he hath done. In the ministry of Hope Givers, there are 2,198 burned women who have been rescued in the ministry of Hope Givers in the last 12 years. Over 1,500 of them have accepted Christ. Pastor Steve said, would you explain that? What are these women who are burned by the husband. In India, uh, if you are a girl, and of course your parents would have to go to the boy's family and say that our daughter is interested in marrying your son, most marriages are arranged in India. In Africa, the boy's parents have to pay the money to the girl's parents. In India, it is the opposite. So the girl's parents, the going rate, don't you love the way this, how it sounds? The going rate, if you're a medical doctor, and by the way, I was telling you, pastor, today, uh, I met uh, Shepherd's, Walter Shepherd's daughter. I told her about her brother's book on Jeremiah. I mean, I have to have an encyclopedia and a dictionary if I ever have to read his book. Uh, now, I am an outstanding student when I was in school. I always stood outside the class. <laughs> I'm glad you were listening. Uh, and I do have a PhD, in case you wondered, past high school with difficulty. 
<laughs> so, look, I don't know why, Pastor Steve, every time they look at Indians, they think they're smart. I'm not one of them. There are smart Indians who are software engineers, medical doctors, lawyers, yes. So the going rate, if you're a medical doctor and you want to marry, of course, medical doctors always marry another medical doctor. So his wife is a medical doctor. The going rate, again, is one million U.S. dollars in cash, plus a house, plus two cars. People will say, no, no, that's not true, but that is true. And... Uh, a lot of the people, when they marry in America, they get motels because they're owned by Patels. <laughs> Somebody got that. <laughs> if I was not live streaming, I would love to expound on that one, but I'm not going to. But anyway, so the average person in India, they make $5. A farmer makes $5 a day. And if he has two daughters, I mean, he's bankrupt. Imagine your worship leader in India. <laughs> yeah. Boy, you wake up. <laughs> you will. And uh, so if they have a daughter, most of the families, when they find out that they're going to have a baby girl, most of them, when I say most of them, most of the non-believers, they will abort their children just because they can pay the dowry. So when the, the agreement comes on the day of wedding that they say it's $5,000 for a poor farmer, his daughter to get married, so fa her father, who is a farmer, gives $1,500 as a down payment. And of course, they get married, they have a child or two together, the long story, he keeps sending her home to get the money, and once the money is not given to her, to be given to him in time, he will beat her bloody nose, bloody ears, she'll go to the father, collect more money. And eventually, when he doesn't get all the money, he pours kerosene on her and sets her on fire. That's called kitchen accident. So in, the, in our country, 85% of these ladies who are burned by their husband end up dying. Hope Givers is the only ministry that exists today in India that are rescuing this 15% of the women who are not dead, but burned. So when I said in the beginning, 2,192 been rescued, 1,500 accepted Christ, 1,801 have died. This ladies who have been burned by their husband during the medical care, when they've been shared the gospel of Christ, they've accepted the Lord. When they die, they have eternity where they never have to be burned again. Amen. So the minister of hope givers calls them burn once, never again. What have these ladies given to hope givers? They've given us 413 children who are being raised as arrows for Christ. I encourage you to please come by the table. We have pictures of little children with their testimony in the background. Put them in your wallet. Put them in your purse. Pray that the Lord would save that child and raise that child to be a missionary for Christ. Since I was here last, of course, I have to be careful how I present this because when you're live streaming, you have to rephrase a lot of stuff. In the last three months, 
in the northeast India. That's all I will say. I will not tell you the exact place because the government of India hates anybody talks about it because it makes our country look bad. But over thousand, over thousand believers, most of them pastors and pastor's wife, who hope givers had the privilege of training them in the Bible college. In the last three months, they have either been burnt or beheaded for their faith in Christ. Please pray for India that the Lord would continue to save that nation. We covet your prayers. Of course, according to the government, they say it's a civil unrest. It's interesting how only Christians are getting killed. But God is sovereign. Please listen to these words. Give us 10 years. There will be a multitude of people from Northeast India who will go around the world and become missionaries for God. God has an amazing way of growing his work. The blood of the martyrs are the seeds for new churches. Please come, worship the Lord with our believers. The two churches now Osborne has built. One has the orphanage plus the church, and the second one, if you just come by the table, you will see the second church that was built by Osborne. Believers are worshiping Christ there five times a week. Pray that the Lord would continue to bless that work. So Osborne has two church plants there. I encourage you to come and visit the believers and visit the pastor there. Before we study from the Word of God, the two things I will share. Many years ago, this was Walter Shepard, he was telling me, he said, Sam, uh, India has overtaken China's population. That reminded me several years ago, I was in Knoxville, and uh, it was a missions conference, and before I brought the message, the pastor just gave me a note. He said, would it be okay if a Chinese missionary shares five minutes about what God's doing in China? I would be thankful. I said, yeah, have you ever seen any missionary take only five minutes? I'm not one of them. So she did. She was true to her word. In five minutes, she closed everything God's doing in China through her. And her closing statement was, God loves Chinese because he made more Chinese. I was to follow that. I said, God's changing his mind. <laughs> <laughs> this was several years ago, but God seriously took me. I mean, the word that I said, I said, wow. So India has overtaken, last six months ago, China's population. 1.6 billion people to Christ need to come. Pray that the Lord would raise 1 million orphans who would become leaders for the kingdom of God. Turn your Bible to book of Genesis. And by the way, I love your country. You have men's Bible, women's Bible, teen's Bible, John MacArthur's Bible, David Jeremiah's Bible, Ryrie's Study Bible, Schofield Bible, Inductive Study Bible, Rainbow Bible. I think they named that after it got wet outside on the rain. Guess which Bible works? Open Bible. You got to open it. But some of us, we carry Bible heavier than who, your weight. We're trying to impress people what a great Bible study book you have. It doesn't do any good. 
if you don't open it. Book of Genesis, chapter 18. I shared this in the first service, and it would not be fair if I didn't share this with you uh, in this service. Ten days ago, I was in New Delhi, India. I have to share stories that does not get me or the ministry in trouble. So, I was with a friend of mine who wears turban. They're called Sikhs. So, he said, would you recommend a book that I can read other than the Bible? Because if I read the Bible, it'll not be good at my home. So, I said, yeah, there's a book about a guy, a Sikh who came to know Christ. So, he said, uh, would you get me a book? So, there's only one Christian bookstore in New Delhi. New Delhi is a small place, very small, with 23 million people. One Christian bookstore. So, I go in with the Sikh friend of mine and one of the staff from the ministry. And I says, do you have that book? He says, yeah. So, as we were talking about the book, a lady comes into the store. It's a small store, very small, maybe 15 by 20. So she comes behind, and she stands right there, looks at me, leaves. She comes again. This is all in the 10-minute period. So she comes and drops the backpack and leaves. If you lived my life with 41 attempts on my life, a backpack like that doesn't look good. So, of course... I was a little worried. So I just stood there. I said, okay, whatever. This may be it, Lord. (laughs) She comes again. Now, this time, she sits on a chair. So, of course, I don't know her. I said, ma'am, how are you? She said, I'm fine. I just want to know that I'm safe to be here with her bag. That's the agenda. So she says, yeah, I'm fine. And the the man who was the manager of the store, he looks at me, he said, she comes every 40 to 50 days. She makes $100 a month, sir. Her house rent is $55 a month. She lives in Delhi. And she saves some money for her food. And whatever is the balance, she wants to buy a Bible and give it to those people who've never read the Bible. I was impressed. I said, how, much, how many Bibles does she take? She says, never more than 20 because that's all she can afford. So I looked at her. I says, ma'am, I'm so happy to hear this from this gentleman. Would it be okay if I get you 50 Bibles? She said, no, 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 I'm fine. I don't need your money. I said, I didn't say you need my money. I said, would you take the Bible? She says, yeah, that'd be nice. I said, well, since you said this nice, I'm going to make it to 100. So we got 100 Bibles. So she got up from her chair, and she came close to the the front desk of the store. She removed her mask, and she said, sir, may I know your name so I can pray for you? I said, yeah, Samuel Thomas. She gave me a hug. She said, you don't know me. I'm just happy to see you alive, sir. I grew up in your orphanage. Went through the Bible college. When you were arrested, they kicked us out. But I have never left the Lord. I've been faithful in witnessing for him. That gave me goosebumps. And I said, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. She said, 
I know personally enemies that are trying to kill you even today. And I thought you were dead many years ago. I said, well, I'm still here. So I said, if you ever need Bible, I've told the storekeeper never to deny you. Whatever number you need, just send me the bill. We'll take care of it. Why? Because hope givers, we believe. Word of God will never come back void. Book of Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard? That's a question that was asked in the story of Abraham and Sarah. The answer to that question is found in Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 17. I'd like for you to open your Bible to the book of Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. If you have the right Bible, it's page 629. <laughs> ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power stretched out arm, and there's nothing too hard for the Lord. We're talking about, is anything too hard for the Lord? According to Genesis, it's a question that is asked. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Jeremiah says, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Book of Jeremiah is not only a book about a weeping prophet, it's also a book about a weeping God. When we look at trials, troubles, distress, heartaches, we sometimes ask to ourselves, where is God? Why doesn't God step in? Why doesn't he do something about this? Why doesn't God move? Is that God is not able to move anymore? Is the situation too big, too large, too strong, too difficult for God to solve? Jeremiah is saying, Lord, if you can make the universe, you can do anything. There's nothing too hard for thee. If you're a student of the Bible, I'd like to encourage you about the sun. Sun is a little bit larger than the earth. 800,000 miles in diameter. If the sun were hollow, it could hold a million planets like ours. Who made them? Who made it? God did. It is basically a minor star. But God alone knows how many galaxies are there. God alone knows how many stars are there. But he knows every star by name. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Jeremiah says there's nothing too hard for the Lord. We're talking about God's limitless power. There's no power that can meet or match with the power of God. There's no promise too hard for God to keep. Someone has said that the Bible has 30,000 plus promises in the Word of God. And every one of them are yea and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. Book of Titus chapter 1 verse 12, God cannot lie. So if he has made 30,000 plus promises and he cannot lie, he will keep all the promises. There's no promise too hard for God to keep. Not only there's no promise too hard for God to keep, there's no prayer too hard for God to answer. Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 3, Call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not. 
Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believe them and you will receive it. Now, God allows obstacles to happen, take place in our life. God allows difficulties to take place in our life that we might learn to pray in faith. One of the believers in India asked me, why does God allow us to walk through or go through troubled waters? The only answer I could give to that believer is, the reason God allows us to go through troubled waters because he knows our enemies can swim. There's no problem too hard for God to solve. Do you have a problem this morning? I want to tell you on the basis of the Word of God, God specializes in things that seem impossible. God may not have solved all of your problems the way you want it, when you want it, but He does solve them. We heard in the song that God helps us through. How many of you would like for God to take you out of the situation you're in? Don't raise your hands. How many of you like for God to just remove all the troubles that you're having in life? Just remove it. You won't find that in the Bible. The Bible says that even when you walk through the waters, they will not drown you. If you walk through the fire, they will not burn you. In other words, according to God, if you want to reach the promised land, you have to go through the Red Sea. If you want to reach the promised land, you have to go through the wilderness. You want to reach the promised land, you have to go through the experience of being thirsty and understand that only from a rock God can bring water. God is not interested in taking you out, but he's interested in going through with you. He will deliver you. First, he has to work in us, then through us, so that we glorify him. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. When I was a young boy, I used to wonder how high is up. I'm still wondering. Because many years ago, when I first started getting on the plane, the highest they would go is 29,000 feet. This last week, we went... 39,000 feet. I can't tell the difference. Because when it was 29,000, I still couldn't reach the limit of the sky. I could not touch that. How high is high? That's how high God thinks about you. God's ways are not our ways. How many of you have enemies? Don't raise your hands. And if you have them, don't look at them this morning. How many of you prayed for your enemies? God, save them. No, Americans do that. Indians don't. This is how we pray for our enemies. Lord, kill them. <laughs> but of course, to make it really spiritual, we add comma for your glory. <laughs> how about this one? Lord, kill them with the love of Christ. Remember Saul when he was persecuting the believers? He was persecuting the church. One of the great questions I love in the life of Paul. Jesus, on the way to Damascus, looks at him and he tells me, why do you persecute me? That's encouraging. 
If you're a follower of Christ, and if anyone hurts you, burns you, beheads you, they've hurt Christ. What an encouraging thought. When you harm a believer, you have touched the apple of his eye. Saul was a persecutor of the church. I'm sure they had prayer meeting those days as God, please strike him dead. God did not strike Saul dead. He struck him alive and made him one of the greatest apostles of the New Testament. God works in a different technique level. He works at a different time level. In other words, there is no problem too hard for God to solve. There's no person too hard for God to save. According to Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, God can save anyone if they just come to him trusting him. Young people, you don't have to make your life all correct. Everything should be just perfect before you come to God. Then you don't need God. You come to God as you are. Let me say this very clearly. Because there's a guy from Houston who preaches the opposite of this. I'm not going to mention his name. He says, oh, just love yourself. There's great within you, the person in you. Oh, yeah, right. It's not from the Bible. This morning, I want to say to you, God loves you too much. No, no. God loves you the way you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. His job is to make you conform to the image of his son. There's no promises too hard for God to keep. There's no problem too hard that God cannot solve. There's not a person too hard that God cannot save. That was me talking about limitless God. But let's talk about the limiting power of men. God's limitless power, man's limiting power. Did you know that puny men can limit almighty God? Please turn in your Bible to book of Psalms. Book of Psalms chapter 78. Book of Psalms, chapter 78, verse 41. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no. But has men limited God? The answer is yes. He's talking about Ephraim, the children of God, who has limited the Holy One of Israel. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. God can do anything, yet they limited God. Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. They came to him, the scribes and the Pharisees and the priest. Book of Matthew chapter 27 verse 1 and 2. They came to him to arrest him. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 27 verse 2. They bound him. They bound the hands of Christ. All things are made by him according to John chapter 1 verse 3. And without him was nothing made. So how can God allow his only son to be bound? This does not mean that Jesus was not control over the matter. I mean he didn't have to let them bind him. He didn't have to. In the first service I said, you remember Peter? He was from India. The reason I know he was from India because as soon as they came to arrest his savior, he chopped the ear of one of the soldiers. That's what Indians do. We don't pray for our enemies. We chop their ears. So, young people, 
FBI, full-blooded Indian. <laughs> but I love how Jesus responded to Peter. He said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53, Peter, don't defend me. If I wanted, I can ask my father to send 12 legion of angels. You know how many 12 legions of angels are? That's 144,000 angels. They're waiting for a command from the Father to go and protect the Son. By the way, those angels don't have M&Ms. They have a sword. In the Old Testament, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. One angel. So if all the 12 legions were put to work on the day of crucifixion, and there were 12 legions that came to help Christ, somebody did the math, they say it would be 13,750,000,000 people would have died in one second. But that's how not many people are there in the world. But Jesus said, don't try to defend me. My father can do this. Jesus allowed this chief priest Jesus allowed the scribes, Jesus allowed the elders to handcuff him, to bind him. Think about it. The hands that they bound were the hands that wanted to bless them. The hands that were wanting once raised the widow's only son. The hands that unstopped the deaf ears. The hands that straightened crippled limbs. The hand that opened the blind eyes. The hand that fed the 5,000. If you're not careful, believers, you too can bind the hands of Jesus that want to bless you. Here are some handcuffs that you are, you may be using to bind the hands that want to bless you. Handcuff number one, unwilling spirit. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Jesus was riding on the colt, and he was coming down the mountain looking to Jerusalem. He, he says these words, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how you have killed the prophets. How I wanted to bless you, but you would not let me. Precious friend, God wants to save you, but he cannot save you if you're not willing to be saved. Oh, do you think Jesus will ever send us to hell? He doesn't want to. But the only qualification to go to hell is to re reject Christ. American history tells us about a man named George Wilson who was sentenced to death to be hung by the neck. Some people went to plead to the governor. So please do not hang him. Forgive him. The governor was moved in mercy and wrote the pardon. The pardon was sent to the prison warden. And when the warden received this pardon that said, George Wilson is pardoned, the story tells us that the warden was happy to read the letter. But he, he said to himself, how happy George would be to receive this news. They went to the cell of George Wilson and said, Mr. Wilson, the governor has pardoned you. This is true story according to your history. He says, I will not accept this pardon. You must carry out the capital punishment. 
They did not know what to do. Now they have a legal problem. Here's a pardon that has been offered. A person who is not willing to receive it or accept it. Shall they force him out of prison? Or shall they continue with the execution? It went to the high court and the judgment was given like this. The pardon is rendered invalid. And the man must be hung if he refuses the pardon. The man is unwilling. Jesus said to Jerusalem, I would have blessed you, but you were not willing. There's a false teaching in our churches today that preached the irresistible grace. I believe in the irresistible grace. But the way it's presented today that God's going to save you, he's going to save you. Whether you want to be saved or not, he's going to save you. That's not true. God has limitless power, but man has the limiting power. Did you know, friends, you have the privilege this morning to say no to the Lord and spend eternity without him. Or you have the privilege to say yes to the Lord and repent of your sin and come to Christ. What is handcuffing the Lord? Unwilling spirit. Number two, unconcerned attitude. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice. Don't you think that, that Revelation 3.20 should not be in the Bible? Don't you think? Because God can do anything, right? He can kick the door. He's better than Rambo. He can use no dynamite. And he still can open the door. Without opening the door, he still shows up. He did that after resurrection. When the disciples were in the room scared, the Bible says, Jesus showed up. So if Jesus can show up without opening the door, why does he say in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Because Jesus does not force himself on anybody. He's a loving God. He loves you. He knocks on the door. If you open it, he will come in and sup with you. Sad to say people are unconcerned today about the knock of Jesus in their heart. That is tying his hands. Unreasonable mindset. Please open your Bible. I want everybody to open to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, say the Lord. Though your sins be scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Unreasonable mindset. God wants to reason together. How many of you want to reason with God? He welcomes you to reason with him. Look at what happened to Lee Strobel. Look at all the atheists who reason with God. They no longer are atheists. I welcome you to reason with God. Listen to some of the unreasonable ways that people think today. Invite people to Osborne. Oh, brother, we will not come to church because when I was growing up as a young boy, my mother drugged me to church. So I don't want to go to church. Imagine how his mother forced him to take bath every day. So that means he's not taking bath now? 
Some say the church is full of hypocrites. There are hypocrites in all areas of life. Some doctors are quacks. Some lawyers are seisters. Some money is counterfeit. But friends, if you're in difficulty, you do find a lawyer, don't you? If you're really sick, you find a doctor. How many of you have burned all the cash in your house because you knew that some money was counterfeit? Hypocrites prove the validity of what is real. Why do they not counterfeit bubblegum wraps and they counterfeit $100 bill? You see, it's the counterfeit that pays tribute to the real. Every hypocrite is a testimony of the validity of the gospel of Christ that Jesus saves. Oh, well, I like to be a Christian, Brother Thomas, but I have to give up so much. The only thing God asks you to give up are the things that will hurt you eventually. Can you imagine saying to God, God, please heal me, but I don't want to give up my cancer. <laughs> you know what is cancer? Cancer is a cell that does not cooperate anymore. How many cancerous Christians we have today in our churches? Friends, are we handcuffing the hands of Christ? Unclean life handcuffs God. You limit the Holy One of Israel. Finally, unbelieving spirit handcuffs. Not all sins are terrible, but the worst, all sins are terrible. But the worst sin is the mother of all sin, the father of all sin. Sin of all sins is unbelief. Matthew chapter 13, verse 58. If he did not do mighty works only because of their unbelief. Could God do mighty works today in your life? Absolutely. Did he have miracle working hands? Absolutely. Was there anything too hard for the Lord? Absolutely not. The only thing that lies outside God's power is that which lies outside his divine will. Are you limiting God? As I close, I remember the story of the father of the boy who was demon-possessed in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. A few years ago, I was sitting at a conference, and a note comes to me in the front. It said, somebody wants to talk to you. The worship already started. The message is about to start. So I wrote back, I says, can this person wait? We'll do this afterwards. So they said, no, this person has walked, uh, traveled three days and three nights. Do you have people like that in church, Pastor Steve, who make you feel guilty? If you don't, I have plenty of them in India. I can send them to you. So they said, you don't have time for this person who came to meet you three days, three nights on a train? I says, can I meet her after the service? She said, no, no, no. We want you to talk to her now. So, of course, they bring her to the front. There's about 3,000 people at the conference. She comes with her Indian garb, completely covered. You can see her. 
But I will not tell you what religious background she belongs to, but I'll tell you her name that will tell you what religion she belongs to. Her name is Fatima. She says, sir, I have been burned by my husband. And I've heard about this ministry that rescues the burned women. I'm here to ask you, would you take an offering, collect money. They should use the word offering. She said, would you take some money, collect some money, and help me with my plastic surgery? But I will not accept your Christ. Part of me, <laughs> I said, all right, I'm not going to do it. But God has to do this to Sam's pride. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Does he do that? That's why it's written twice. If you're just grouchy, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. So the, the gentleman who was sitting next to me, his name was John Temple. John said, how much does she need? So I calculated the Indian money into American dollars. I said, $2,200 will cover her plastic surgery. He says, don't worry about it. I have the entire money covered. She went home with that money. Six weeks later, she writes that she's waiting for the appointment. Six months later, she does get the plastic surgery done. Eight months later, she accepts the Lord as her Savior. Keep in mind, the pastor who brought her on this train, he's been serving the Lord in this village for over 11 years. He had only seven believers, seven. After this burned woman was saved, the plastic surgery was done, she has used her scar to share the love of Christ. Today, the church worships with 69 believers. To God be all the glory for great thing he had done. God can do great things. God can do great things with one life that surrendered to him. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. But get rid of the unwilling spirit. Get rid of the doubting spirit. Come to Christ as you are. And he will work on you, and he will do things for you that you never imagined. To God be all the glory. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes are closed. Pastor Steve, would you lead us in prayer? Your eyes closed. Um, maybe, maybe you're sitting here right now and Sam's words are still resonating in your heart and mind. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Because you're going through some really, really hard things. And maybe you just got to a place where you are thinking, God's just not going to do it. God just doesn't care enough. God doesn't really love me or he wouldn't let this be happening to me. But maybe this morning God has reminded you who he is. And it's not because he don't love you and it's not because he don't care for you and it's not because he can't. But in his timing, God makes all things beautiful. But he's teaching you. And maybe this morning, you can say, Pastor Steve, 
I'm done with that doubting. I'm going to trust God no matter what it means because I know He's with me through this and that one day He'll deliver me from it and I'm going to trust Him. If that's true for you right now, just as a kind of an, an act of faith, could you just stand to your feet sit right back down? Just stand to your feet sit right back down. I see you. Who else? I see you. Who else? I see you. Who else? I see you. I see you. I see you all over the worship center. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that nothing is too difficult for you. Thank you for teaching us that your ways are higher than our ways, and we don't always understand what you're doing, but you've taught us that we can always trust you no matter what. So, God, I just pray for everybody who could stand right now here this morning. Let them know. Deliverance is coming, and you're with them. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, you, you know, for more than 60 years, uh, Samuel's father, Dr. M.A. Thomas, started this ministry uh, in 1960, and Sam has been the leader of this ministry in incredibly effective ways, and it's just changed so many lives so in India, where they take these orphans that the culture just throws away because they devalue life because of their religious beliefs. And if, you know, you're poor or you're what they call in the lowest caste, it's because you did hor horrible things in a former life, so you deserve that, so why would I want to help you out of that? But that's not who Jesus is. And the truth of God says that, man, God helped us, so we want to help everybody else. Amen. That's what Hope Givers does. They take these children that the culture throws away. They feed them. They educate them. They clothe them. And they train them to serve the Lord. Then they send them out, like Psalm 127 says, as arrows to serve the Lord, to plant churches. And uh, Sam asked me not to say how many churches they planted because... Uh, they can get in trouble if everybody knew that, but it's a mind-boggling number. Could you commit to pray for Sam and Hope Givers? And would you uh, give a gift today? So on your mobile app or on a kiosk in the lobbies, uh, you can give a gift directly to, to Hope Givers, and we hope you'll do that today because every time you do that, man, you're bringing people into the kingdom you are helping feed these little orphans who are going to go plant churches. What a great, wonderful ministry. Let's let Sam know how much we support them today. Let's stand and worship.